TSX or no audio. Hello everybody, it is Sunday afternoon around 6 o'clock on the 28th of January 2024. The background noises are that of a city at this time when you'd think everybody would be just taking it easy, but unfortunately there are planes going overhead and people dealing with angle grinders and all other manner of distractions, so sorry about the background noise. But anyway, moving right along, let's get on to the anti-war headlines. And I remind you that they are grouped into various subcategories and that for each of them, we start at the beginning of the week and move forward in time. Section one, the genocide. US prepares for open-ended war against the Houthis in Yemen. Netanyahu doubles down on opposition to Palestinian state after call with Biden. US intelligence says Israel nowhere close to its goals of eliminating Hamas. Report. Israel offers Hamas two-month ceasefire for release of hostages. Majority of Israelis believe Netanyahu is acting primarily for personal interest. 21 Israeli soldiers killed after Hamas rocket-triggered mine explosion. Hezbollah targets command centre in northern Israel. Israeli officials deny reports of progress in hostage negotiations with Hamas. State Department refuses to condemn Israel shooting group of Palestinians waving white flag. Israeli forces flatten Gaza border areas to create militarised zone. US, Israel advancing major fighter jet details amid Gaza slaughter. CIA chief to travel to Europe to discuss Gaza hostage talks. US refuses to say if it will respect ICJ ruling on genocide case against Israel. ICJ rules against Israel in Gaza genocide case. Section 2. US plus UK versus Ansar Allah. US military. Two US Navy SEALs missing off coast of Somalia are dead. Relatives of hostages disrupt Israeli Knesset meeting. Demand more action. US and UK launch more strikes in Yemen as US names new war against Houthis. Investigation reveals former Al-Qaeda members are part of US-backed Yemeni government forces. US bombs Yemen for ninth time. Houthis attack US commercial ship. Bipartisan support of senators question legal authority of Biden's new war with Houthis. Next section. Other Southwest Asia just removed from the genocide. US troops injured in heavy missile and rocket attack on base in Iraq. Biden thinks it's just a matter of time before US troops are killed in Iraq or Syria. US launches more airstrikes in Iraq as tensions soar. US, Iraq to start talks on future of US military presence. US confirms it's entering talks that could lead to US withdrawal from Iraq. Next section, Ukraine slash Russia. Ukrainian shelling of Donetsk market kills at least 27. I will add civilians to the title, David Camp. Slovak Prime Minister says Ukraine must give up territory to end war. Russia says Ukraine shot down plane carrying Ukrainian prisoners of war. NATO stand. US launches airstrikes in southern Somalia, says Three Al-Shabaab killed. Turkish Parliament approves Sweden's NATO membership. Followed a couple of days later by Biden urges Congress to approve F-16 sale to Turkey. 
And our last section is East Asia slash China, and we have U.S. Congressional Delegation Meets with Taiwan's President-Elect. End of anti-war headlines. Then the other voices section. We have, uh, first of all, the genocide slash Southwest Asia uh, subtopic, all grouped together. And at the top, I have an article uh, republished uh, at Shear Post, originally from World Beyond War by David Swanson, titled International Court of Justice Rules that Israel Must Stop Killing Palestinians. And the reason I'm recommending this is it's a very good, plain language, accurate summary of the judgment. Head there so that you don't rely on what I said for accuracy. I'm suspicious that I might have got things slightly akilta. So read this. It is very simple, clear, very good reporting. Well done, David. And then we have uh, the article by Chris Hedges, entitled, It May Be Genocide, But It Won't Be Stopped, with another wonderful piece of graphic art by Mr. Fish. Uh, And it's a a sort of wider picture, uh, with some opinion, uh, but heavily cited as ever uh, by Chris Hedges. So a wonderful piece of reporting by him. And I mention again that he's been reporting on this forever, since the Second Intifada. So spoke Arabic, learnt some back when he was the New York Times bureau chief for the Middle East and da da da. I mean, he knows this shit backwards. So he is suffering all this crap again. It's like, do I have to keep writing about this? So uh, it's a great article. Uh, it's, it's a little opinionated in places, but very dry too. You can you, one can sense the uh, the the pain the uh, that he's going through. It has to write about this shit anyway. Um, and then we have a nice little article by Bernard from Move Alabama titled US Claims No Alternative to Larger Middle East War. Yeah, uh, it's sort of calling the obvious, but Bernard is so good. I, I really love his reporting and I um, repurposed a headline of his directly <laughs> with attribution, of course, because imitation is the greatest form of flattery. <laughs> uh, and then we have... Russian Foreign Ministry ties Red Sea blockade to Gaza blockade backs Houthis in Moscow meeting by John Helmer from Dances with Wolves. And this is a very detailed look at what Russia's doing. A week or so back, he criticised the Kremlin for not, for basically, what did he use the analogy? Yeah, sitting on the fence in the middle of the Red Sea. It's a classic line. Anyway, this is a very detailed look at what Russia is doing, how they're positioning themselves. And that in itself is a vision into um, BRICS and the SEO, right? The China-Russia approach. So this is a vision into the, pl- the diplomacy that they're setting up to somehow position themselves amongst this. And we'll come back a little bit to that further below. Anyway, moving on, we have the Ukraine slash Russia topic. And uh, Russia's term from the West by Patrick Lawrence, uh, Consortium News. Wonderful article by Patrick Lawrence. Really good um, stuff. And then we have uh, recommended by Andre Martinov, Trump won't change anything. Uh, Lavrov, an article at RT. And then uh, one by Martinov himself called In Case You Have Forgotten, dot, 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 because we're in dot, dot, dot land, <laughs> uh, from his reminiscence of the future, dot, 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 which is just a very brief summary of, of how much Russia is doing. So it, it, just a brief description of some of their military oversight, you know, flights and whatever, monitoring that they're doing on the Lebanese-Syrian southern border and all this sort of stuff. There's just a small window into the amount of stuff that Russia's doing. And then we have a very interesting article. I thought this one was cute. Uh, Republished at um, Natalie's Place, Understanding Russia, by Ben Aris, who's from Intelli News. 
And the title is Europe Still Hooked on Russia Gas as US Threatens to Sanction LNG. And it's an examination of what's happened in the gas markets since the, the special military operation uh, got underway and all of the, UN's, the EU sanctions and all of the above. Very, very interesting. There is actually an equivalent piece by Helmer, actually, uh, with a you know, similar little detail. But anyway, I, I thought this one was, a, was quite a nice read by Ben Arras, so check that out. And then we have moving on to the next category of NATO stand slash general stuff. This is, without a doubt, article of the week. So if you only read one, check this out. An Anniversary the West Would Rather Forget by the ever-excellent M.K. Badrakuma and republished at Consortium News. I won't go into it in too much depth. I think depth, depth, yeah, there's depth involved too. Um, Too much depth because I think it's better left as a, a sort of a reveal. I will add this one point that, interestingly, M.K. Badrakuma has uh, failed to mention, and I'm sure that he deliberately didn't mention this because I'm certain he would know this fact. And that is the historic event which begins the article and sets the framing for the discussion that he's having uh, was a tragedy that occurred in Russia. And in that tragedy, the brother of the current president of the Russian Federation died. So that's a hint. If you know your history, you'll already know what the introductory topic is. If you don't, You can throw that little factoid in there from me when you read it. Moving along, we have To Biden, Avoid a Third World War by the VIPS memo. That's the Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity, the group set up originally by Ray McGovern. So it's an open memo to the president and it's published as they all are at Consortium News and I, if there is a second thing you read... (laughs) Have a look at this, especially if you're a US citizen. Have a look at it. One of the things he, they do in this is they list who the hell they are. They, they say, we, every four years we come out and we, we say to all of the presidential candidates, here we are, we're a bunch of ex-intelligence <laughs> professionals, and if you like our services in your campaign, please come talk to us. We are open to everybody. So that's sort of cute. Uh, and then we have the weekly article by Vijay Prashad from the Tricontinental Institute for Social Research, and that is this week titled, We Know a Different World Will Be Born Out of This Mess, the fourth newsletter. And it's compassionate and beautiful as ever. And then we have an article by Matthew Ho, who, if you recall, I was recently praising and saying, Really, go and have a little bit of a listen to the recent four weeks' worth of uh, interviews that Ho um, has um, been a part of on judging freedom. Because I think he's been providing some very considered, thoughtful uh, analysis. And so here is a written piece by him, which was linked to at Post, but published at Counterpunch. And the title is Imperial Costs, Two Stories Summarise the Cost of Empire to Democracy. And in the East Asia slash China bracket of interesting articles by other people for this week, the answer is nothing. (laughs) How about that? (laughs) China got off the hook this week. However, under Assange, we have um, a couple of articles. Well, in fact, one article and two interviews. So the reason for this is that they're on the 21st of of next month, I believe it is. There is the final chance for uh, Julian Assange's legal team to defeat his extradition to the US. Of course, they're trying to build some attention towards uh, this issue. 
Uh, so we can expect that that will build over time. But so there are two things here. First is uh, Caitlin Johnston, the ever excellent Caitlin Johnston, with uh, an article titled "The War on Journalism in Belmarsh: The War on Journalism in Gaza." So wonderful work by her as ever. And to follow that up, we actually have two videos which are excellent, though I have to confess that I've only watched the first few minutes of the first one. And so this is basically Stella Assange and Craig Murray, former ambassador, blah, 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 sitting down for a chat over a cup of tea in what I presume is uh, Stella's uh, abode. But I don't know where, where it is. But it's a very relaxed discussion with the two of them. It's been really well shot. So they've obviously got some professional camera people in to assist. And so it's a chance for... Um, a discussion amongst these two friends of the Assange case, and no doubt they'll be discussing what's coming up uh, in the High Court uh, in Britain. So all of the de details will be there for certain. So there we are, a little bit of Assange stuff. And then, uh, of course, th those two interviews are the first two that I list under the video category. And then we have a bunch of other stuff. Uh, and the first, of course, is the the video that uh, Consortium News Live, CN Live, did with Makuris, Murray, Boyle, and McGovern. And I cannot recommend this highly enough, uh, particularly for Francis Boyle, who, it turns out, is a US lawyer who represented the Bosnians in their case before the International Court of Justice against the Yugoslavs. Uh, during the 19... whenever it was. I think he, he mentions the judgments were from 1993. So, um, anyway, he has some experience in dealing with uh, cases before the International Court of Justice that had to do with genocide, as in the first of those cases. And so he provides some very interesting uh, commentary to the discussion because he knows a thing or three about this. And so check it, check it out. Of course, McGovern's... Commentary is always interesting. Uh, Murray, you know, of course, the same. So it's an excellent panel that um, Laurier and uh, Consortium News have put together. And he's great. He throws out to Elizabeth Voss now and then, who asks a bunch of very interesting questions. And one of the most interesting is to Craig Murray. And she asks him, she says, well, you were there in the court. Uh, so what was it about the judgment that you found most surprising? And the answer that Murray gives, I found to be one of the most insightful comments on the entire thing, apart from one other which he made, uh, which I'll get to, I'll probably forget, is this. The point, one of the points that Murray makes is that what the judgment basically says is, Israel, you have signed up to this genocide convention. We are reminding you that you have to bloody comply with it. Which is to say, there's nothing really legally new about this at all, which I thought was a good observation. I mean, there are the, the, me the um, provisional measures are declared, and it's like, and you shall report to us, Israel, as to your compliance with these um, provisional measures in 30 days, or there'll be trouble, <laughs> waves the court's finger. But legally, there's no, no real change at all, apart, you know. So, and this echoes very much the conclusion I reached in the article earlier in this week, where, which was me looking at what um, uh, Blinken was saying, which is that the, the US is basically telling Israel to, you know, oi, there's international law here reminding them that, you know, they sort of have to comply with it, which is to say that the conclusion I reached was that, first of all, Israel doesn't give a shit about international law, obviously. Second of all, even when the US, a rather powerful international actor, 
publicly tells them, Oi, international law, don't forget about that shit. They don't even really listen to the US either. That's how fucking mad they are. Anyway, so it's sort of a, a similar thing that, that Murray's pointing out. That the Israelis are, right now, um, they're completely untethered. Completely untethered. Which, which is obvious. Right, okay, so nothing terribly revelatory there either. And then we have a whole sequence of interviews from uh, Judging Freedom. And they are with, he said, wondering where he was up to. Oh, there we are. Uh, yeah, Alastair Cook, Larry Johnson, Aaron Marte, first interview uh, with him on Judging Freedom. And I, that's, I enjoyed that uh, quite a lot. And then we have uh, special Colonel McGregor. It's special because he's on the other end of a phone instead of um, in front of a video camera. And then Medea Benjamin, first interview uh, for her on uh, Judging Freedom. And then the usual uh, Intel Roundup with uh, the lads, as I titled it this week. And so that brings us to the close of the Other Voices section. And lastly, oh, I know this is getting on a bit, but I have to cover the stuff from the newsletter. And it is, begins with AI-powered fake news, which was... Just me getting annoyed at ABC News for publishing advertising for up-and-coming surveillance bullshittery. So, you know, meh. Uh, and then there was uh, a soft coup in the US, which I think is actually... Uh, I was trying to say something interesting there, which is that the US has got a, a um, military-industrial complex production problem in that the military-industrial complex is not producing stuff anywhere near fast enough. They're producing... Lots of interesting little trinkets that are complicated and expensive, but that doesn't really work terribly well in wars. <laughs> Very well in wars, does it? You know, I remember watching uh, videos of produced by uh, Patrick Lancaster of uh, units of Russian artillery working in the Donbass, and he travelled with them in the back of a truck and so forth. And he video he and Sasha, his uh, video videographer videoed them pulling the so they were towed the artillery pieces were towed there were two of them and they would unhook them from the back of the vehicles and then all these things happen in parallel with the vehicles just sort of moving slightly out of the way and the guys getting their gear ready and and setting everything up and then ham, literally with sledgehammers hammering in these huge metal spikes to pin the, the artillery pieces down and the, um, uh, the ammunition being set up just behind the gun and they're being sighted in parallel and da-da-da and then the guy comes and takes off the safety caps and they load them all up and then they fire, you know, like two shots, four shots, I can't remember how many it was, da-da-da and then it's all packed up, boom-boom-boom-boom, instant rush, you know, everything back in the van, hook it up to the thing, drive away because as soon as you fire, that's when the enemy start knowing where you are and if you hang around, they'll fucking get you. So it was what I was watching and seeing was the... Efficiency, the beautiful synchronized court. I mean, this is horrible stuff. We're firing artillery, but the perfectly practiced, synchronized, routine, timed, efficient use of this weaponry, and the fact that it wasn't full of high tech stuff. No, <laughs> it's you know they're hammering in big metal spikes with sledgehammers. It's it's Russian style gear. It's meant to survive. It's meant to work. It can be maintained in the field. You don't have to send this stuff back to Moscow to get it fixed. You know, that's what the engineers that are part of the Russian military will be doing. If it gets damaged, they'll be fixing it not too far away. Unless it's really heavily damaged. Okay, fair enough. You know. But this is, the, this is sort of the Russian way. Right? Very well trained. Um, so there was another one where there was, you see a guy um, measuring the wind speed. 
Like all of these calculations are going on. So yeah, it's quite, it's quite intense. Anyway, I'm getting a little off topic. So yeah, the story is basically the US just not only does it not have the production capacity, it actually most of its stuff's sort of half mothballed. What was it? The stats now? They're, they're like 11 uh, carrier aircraft carriers, only four of which can do anything at any one time. And then there's, what was it, some number of, you know, battleships or whatever, only some, you know, 30% of those can do anything. So there's an awful lot of stuff that they just can't use, either because it's not maintained well enough or they don't have the people or whatever the thing is. So not only can't they do production, they actually can't actually just run the shit they've got either. So the US is in a spot of bother, says I. And then the next one's an audio podcast, uh, the Iron Al-Assad uh, Patriot Defence Failed to Defend, but who attacked and why? Which was, uh, it's a piece of media analysis, basically. Like, how the hell are you meant to work out what the hell's going on if you read the, um, the mainstream media? So I look at the articles by, was it CNN, Washington Post, Reuters? And only if you read to the bottom and you really dig around and you understand the background uh, with some degree of detail and some historical context can you make head nor tail of what's going on. Otherwise, you've got no bloody idea. And that's why no one reads all the stuff at the bottom, because by the time they get there, it's so much stuff that's misexpressed, out of context, it's impossible to put it together into any sensible narrative. So it's just, it's a media analysis piece. It's got nothing to do with the title, actually. But there you go. That was a sort of a, an error on my part. And then we have uh, Projection 101 WF's Global Risk Report, which was actually a look at the WF's Global Risk Report, uh, in which they basically go, oh my God, the, uh, the world's in slightly discombobulated state, and therefore what we need is um, to fight misinformation and disinformation, which is just bullshit. It's media narrative control. Uh, and we plug in good old Caitlin Johnson to come to a sensible conclusion out of that. There you go. And then we also you know, look at a quick bit of history, i.e. the last presidential campaign, the one before that, and we go, oh, shit, that's what they're going to do. They're going to throw, you know, every time something comes up that, that you know, supports a candidate they don't like or um, whatever, they'll just label stuff as misinformation and disinformation and smack it down. And blah, blah, blah. It's just bullshit. Anyway, so, but, you know, the point is I sort of thank them and say, well, thanks for telling us what your fears are because really that's what's going on here. It's projection and, and them revealing what their fears are. So... And then we had something fun. Uh, yes and Jock, episode one, the CIA to take over Project Ukraine. And I thank you very much for your interest uh, in this first episode. It's a, uh, a series I've been thinking about for a while, and I intend to make more of it. I have plans even. So, And then we uh, finished the week with the ICJ could not order a general ceasefire. It ordered Israel to cease fire. And that's the repurposing of that Brindley title by Bernard from Murnab, Alabama, in which I issue an apology. And uh, so I'll, I'll leave that as the big reveal. Haha, <laughs> there's a serious apology, and I mean it, uh, in that article. And with that, I will thank you for your attention during the week. It's been somewhat busy. Hopefully things will calm down a bit next week. Ha <laughs> Have a good one. <laughs> Bye. Welcome back to Yes X or No Audio.